we kind of did an introduction and review on session two. So if you want to skip down to the secondary role of the church, in light of the coming kingdom and the judgment, the restoration therein, the secondary role of the church is to honor the king who we serve through our lifestyle and prepare for our inheritance in the kingdom. So like uh, Titus 2, like we read a second ago, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions Excuse me. and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age while we wait for the blessed hope. So if you're trying to figure out what, what's my purpose in life, what, am, what is the church supposed to do, what's the mission of the church, the way you figure out what the mission of the church is you look at the in-game passages. You look at all the passages that describe the day of the Lord in eschatology, and then you look right around those passage, the, that passage. And every time, you'll get just nuggets, you know, just the thrust of what they're trying to say in light of the day of the Lord. Press on in your faith. In light of the day of the Lord, purify yourselves in holiness and righteousness. In light of the day of the Lord and us giving an account, we try to persuade men so that they don't get uh, cast in a lake of fire, etc. And so whenever you see these eschatological passages, look right around them, key your mind in to say, I'm going to eschatology, your, your mission and purpose is defined by your eschatology in anything you do. If you, want a, if you want a life of purpose and mission, then define the end of your life and it will clarify what you do between there and then. And so if you set your mind to think that way, whenever you see end-time passages and passages that focus on the end, you'll always get the exhortation. This is what you do in light of that thing. And so Titus 2 gives the discipleship aspect of while we wait for the blessed hope, we obey the Spirit and the grace that's been given to us for our perseverance unto the day of the Lord to live. We say yes to the Spirit. We live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. And we purify by the Spirit. We purify ourselves as a people His very own until the uh, blessed hope comes. Colossians 2, So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in Him. And so, you know, the, uh, this is the faith we're proclaiming that Jesus is Lord. That's just saying that Jesus is the Messiah. So you're proclaiming the day of the Lord and your faith that, Jesus has anoint- that God has anointed Jesus as the Lord. So just as you receive the day of the Lord, that you received uh, faith in it, continue to live in him in light of that, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in your faith as you are taught, overflowing with thankfulness, waiting, enduring, In righteousness, see that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human traditions and basic principles of the world rather than Christ. And so it really is every hollow and deceptive philosophy leads you away from the right hand of sound instruction (laughs) in the day of the Lord, the resurrection, the kingdom, righteousness by faith, and a... a, uh, perseverant witness and so um, point b this is the context of the biblical exhortation to discipleship and sanctification 
The church is called to holiness and righteousness because the king we serve and the coming kingdom will be righteous and holy. This is radically different than the common context for discipleship uh, of an immaterial heaven. So like 1 Peter 1, therefore, in context to our inheritance that's being kept for us in heaven, the salvation of our souls that will be revealed to us when we receive a body that will not uh, decay and our souls are saved, therefore, prepare your minds for action Being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so again, you get the revelation. Therefore, be sober-minded, right? Setting your hope fully. So this is the primary aspect. Setting your hope fully. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in your, contact, uh, in your conduct. And so the basic idea is, look, God is ruling over the heavens and the earth in holiness and righteousness. Adam used to rule over the earth in holiness and righteousness. He gave way and shrunk back and disobeyed in rebellion. And now there's corruption and wickedness on the earth. But you... You live like God is ruling over the heavens and the earth, and you live like it will be when the, when the second Adam rules over the, the heavens and the earth and establishes righteousness on the earth. And so you live as children of your father, and you be like your father. It, I mean, it's just it's not complicated logic. Is God is good and kind and just in his rulership over the heavens and the earth, and he'll establish it on the earth in the age to come. Therefore, be imitators of God. And be like Him. Because you want to honor Him, you want to love Him, and you want to witness to Him that He'll establish it on the earth in the age to come. And so, as it's written, you shall be holy for I am holy, which is a really powerful interpretation of the Mosaic uh, uh, law, but we'll move on from there. And if you call on Him as Father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, referencing the day of the Lord... Conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal way from your feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. And so, in light of when he judges men according to their deeds, the day of the Lord. Therefore, this is what you do. Conduct yourselves with fear and trembling during the time of your exile before you inherit the earth. And so, I wanted to, before I forgot, I had a... a uh, the way that is usually uh, presented, discipleship is usually presented in light of... Wait for it. So I got this email... A while back, uh, an interview of Rick Warren. And so, um, discipleship is generally viewed in light of uh, an immaterialized heaven. And so, rather than being suited and uh, uh, equipped and trained and prepared for the kingdom to rule over the earth in righteousness and love, etc., the idea of discipleship is generally within this a Christo-naturalistic context of an immaterial, etherealized, heavenly destiny. And therefore, we're being suited for heaven or whatever. We're being uh, uh, prepared for uh, heaven. And so, 
Uh, I'll just read a little bit of it. Purpose Driven Life, author and pastor of Saddleback Church in California. And in an interview with Paul Bradshaw, Rick Warren says, People ask me, what is the purpose of life? And I respond, in a nutshell, life is preparation for eternity. We were made to last forever, and God wants us to be with him in heaven. And so uh, one day my heart's going to stop, and that will be the end of my body, but not the end of me. I may live 60 to 100 years on earth, but I'm going to spend trillions of years in eternity in heaven. This is the warm-up act, the dress rehearsal. God wants us to practice on earth what we will do forever in eternity. And so you get this, there's a, I mean, there's the idea that this is our purpose, discipleship, but it just breaks down because an immaterial, etherealized, heavenly destiny, there's no government to it. There's no meat and substance to it. All it is is floaty cloud spirit, etc. And so there's nothing to really be discipled to. You know what I mean? Like, what, what, right, what are we actually going to do there? And so there's nothing to pattern our lives after. So there's nothing to really grab hold of and say, this is what I want my life to be like. Float on a cloud and play a harp. But people actually do that. And they actually, they want to give their lives completely to, you know, worship, eyes closed, floaty, ethereal, etc., etc., which isn't bad. It's just that the way they see themselves in eternity is the way they disciple themselves after. And like Chad Brewer said, Worship isn't primarily raising your hands, singing with your eyes closed because the kingdom isn't ethereal. Therefore, worship isn't that way. Worship in the scriptures is defined by how we live out our lives in discipleship in light of our destiny in the kingdom. And so worship, if you worship me, you will obey me. If you love me, you'll do what I say. And so worship is expressed and played out in discipleship. Not only in discipleship, but the way we sanctify and the way we live out our lives is a reflection of what we believe, right? We work out our salvation with fear and trembling. That's discipleship. But it's the salvation that defines our discipleship. It's the, it's the end game and the, dis, and the destiny that gives us a pattern and, and a way by which we live out our worship of God and our acknowledgement that he is holy and he is ruling over the heavens and the earth and that he will hold men accountable for what they've done. And so we live our lives in fear and reverence of the day of the Lord. And it gives us something to say, this is how it's going to be in the age to come. And the Spirit says, this is how it's going to be in the age to come. Therefore... Live like that now. This is how God is. This is how you will be in the age to come. Therefore, you be that way. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's, it's an inherent discipleship mechanism. Like Tim Miller says, the scriptures and redemptive history inherently teach you and disciple you. That's why the Holy Spirit, he takes the things of God the day of the Lord 1 Corinthians 2, and he gives them to us and he impresses on our mind what it will be like in the age to come and and he impresses on our mind the day of the Lord and that solidifies and leads us in righteousness and holiness until that day.
page 2, uh, 0.1, discipleship, therefore, is simply uh, training to reign. Um, because all government is based on love and ability, God has provided a context and opportunity for all the nations to be purified of selfishness, pride, greed, etc., to be made, re- made worthy to rule over the earth and genuine love for its highest well-being. And so uh, Matthew 28, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, i.e. Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father, and him having all authority, the natural outworking of that, obviously, in his disciples' minds, when they hear him say, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, they say, oh my goodness, he's going to judge the living and the dead. He's the one appointed judge of the earth, and he's going to execute the day of the Lord. Therefore, in light of the day of the Lord, and him having authority to judge, go and make disciples of all nations, of all of, of not only Jews but Gentiles also, to rule over the earth in righteousness and love in preparation for the kingdom, baptizing them, teaching them to obey everything I've said, and I'm with you to the end of the age. At, at which time the day of the Lord will happen. And so the point is, is this, this age, like, uh, like Rick Warren said, it's a warm-up, a dress rehearsal of what, practicing now what we'll do in the age to come, only it's on the earth, ruling over the earth in righteousness, the way it should have been in the beginning and will be uh, in the end. And so it's really an opportunity, and this is the... This is the sad thing I, I see that happens is that people and their calling get so shut down because the vast majority of people are, were, were given the opportunity in 1,500 different situations and places on the earth that we get to get trained in dis- different aspects of life on earth to walk out Righteous, hum, righteousness, humility, and love. And because the church has this etherealized heavenly destiny, they miss all these opportunities to be trained in righteousness because they don't feel like you know their position at whatever accounting firm or whatever, you know, working for the city or whatever business or whatever parks and recreation, they don't feel like all these jobs because ultimately in their heavenly destiny, all of these things aren't going to be there. So they're all meaningless and worthless. And so people have this delusion that everything outside of being in full-time ministry or being a monk or a nun is not worth their time and effort and has no meaning or purpose. When in reality, it's the exact opposite way that it all these situations on the earth and all the governments and all of the different you know trials and the different places that everybody gets put in, they're all opportunities for us to be refined and trained in righteousness and holiness. So rather than fleeing from the marketplace into lives of solitude and heavenly mindedness, the church ought to be living primarily seeking to live in the marketplace to be trained and to reflect how the righteous are going to function in the earth in the age to come. And so, um, anyway, uh, point two, God calls his followers to be holy in character and lifestyle unto future governance over the earth 
as he's holy in character and lifestyle and his everlasting governance over creation. So, Second uh, Peter 1, yeah, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And so, um, he, he's given us his spirit concerning all things to life and godliness, meaning everlasting life and the godliness, the righteousness that will be established on the earth when he judges the ungodly through the knowledge of him who calls us into his own glory and excellence or majesty. And so we're called into the kingdom to come, which is clearly he's talking about the eschatological kingdom because of a couple sentences later in the passage here. And so we're called into his glory and majesty in the age to come and he's given us, us his spirit to teach us about life and godliness, by which he has granted us his precious and very great promises. And so the promises given through the prophets about the day of the Lord and the age to come. And so he's given us these promises through the, through the prophetic witness. He has, uh, and therefore, and he's given us his spirit and predestined us to inherit those promises and called us into that light so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. And so the being partakers of the divine nature is us being resurrected like Jesus was a partaker of the divine nature in his resurrection, having everlasting life, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire, not meaning escape metaphysically, but escaped in righteousness, save yourselves from this corrupt generation having escaped, being called out of darkness into light, uh, that we might be raised from the dead and not condemned on the day of the Lord. Verse 5, For this very reason make every effort to supplement your faith, to supplement your faith in the kingdom and the resurrection with virtue, virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, godliness brotherly affection, brotherly affection with love. And so his point is, is not to supplement uh, whatever, you know, the redemptive work on the cross or supplement. His, his, his point is, listen, you have faith in the resurrection and the kingdom. Therefore, supplement it with the character of the resurrection and the kingdom. Imitate it. It's, it's not like you're adding to your faith, you're adding to salvation. It's just, and, and, if you have faith in, in, in the cross for your righteousness, for your inheritance of the resurrection and the kingdom, then you will inherit it regardless. You might lose everything as in the fire, 1 Corinthians 3, and yourself be saved. But the point is, is that you're, you're destined for godliness and righteousness. Therefore, add to your faith righteousness, holiness, self-control, do live now like you would live in the age to come. Does that make sense? And so, uh, so in light of your faith, add to it the, the, the things you know you'll walk in in the age to come. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so if you actually supplement and add to your belief in the resurrection and the kingdom and your faith in it, it will keep you productive and effective and it will keep you on a narrow path. And so um, 
verse 9, for whoever lacks these qualities, whoever is not imitating God and walking out their faith and adding to their faith obedience, if you lack these qualities, you're nearsighted and you're blind. And so he uses a, a, uh, an analogy of nearsightedness to say you don't, ha- you, you, you don't have a long-sighted outlook on the day of the Lord. If you lack... If you lack living your life in discipleship in light of the coming kingdom, then you're nearsighted. And all you see is the things right at hand. You're not, you don't have sight of the things far off, the kingdom and the day of the Lord. That's his point. You've forgotten that you've been cleansed from your former sins, which when, in reference to you're cleansed on the day of the Lord, your inheritance. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. And so, in reference to the kingdom and the resurrection, you add to your faith and your calling in in those things the characteristics and qualities of the coming kingdom under the leadership of the Spirit. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will, be you, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So I think it would help to work through that passage by reading verse 12 first, because it gives you context that everything he's saying is unto a rich welcome and inherit- an entrance into the kingdom of our Lord Jesus. And so, in light of we want a rich welcome, I mean, if you have faith and believe you've been cleansed from your sins by the cross, then you'll receive an an entrance into the kingdom. But if you want a rich welcome and entrance into the kingdom, then add to your faith in the cross, in the resurrection, etc. Then add to it the characteristics and qualities Uh, under the leadership of the Spirit of that coming kingdom. So three, in this way we live lives worthy of the kingdom of God and the age to come. Not Not that our lives qualify us for the inheritance, but that our lives emulate the righteousness of that which uh, to which we've been called. And so, and usually you don't get a lot of, uh, a lot of, uh, exegesis and and exhortation off of these scriptures that talk about living lives worthy of our calling because there's no real context for living worthy of our calling because usually our calling is the etherealized heavenly destiny and so how do you live worthy of floating on a cloud and playing a harp then you give your whole life day and night to floating on a cloud playing a harp kind of lifestyle which isn't, I mean, we want to sing and give ourselves continually to worship, but we walk that out in righteousness and holiness throughout our lives, day to day. And so we walk worthy of our calling, not that we simply, the point is we emulate what we're, what we're called to, okay? We live as though it's real and, and as though... This is what we're called to be. And so, you know, if I tell my son, you're going to inherit my sod business. Oh, that just came to mind. Good friend, good friend of mine, his father said, you know, he was raised in, in uh, uh, northeastern Arkansas. And his father owns this huge sod farm, like, you know, whatever, 5,000 acres of sod. And, 
And his father said, if you ever want to inherit this farm, you have to go to college. And his son was like, seriously, everything antithetical to college and, and university life, this was, this was Bud. And, uh, but his father said, if you want to inherit the farm, you have to go to college. And so that's where I met Bud when I was in college, when I was on staff of campus ministry. And, and he absolutely hated every minute of it. But, uh, but it's, if you want your destiny and calling is to inherit the sod farm, sod farm, therefore walk worthy of inheriting the sod farm. Walk worthy as far as learning how to run a sod farm, learning how to do business, learning how to keep up with your life and self-discipline your life. And everything that's involved in running a sod farm, walk worthy of your inheritance of the sod farm. And so likewise, everything involved in you reigning, being made a kingdom and you will kingdom and priests and you will reign over the earth and your and you as servants will rule over the earth and the kingdom will be given to you the saints of the most high don't you know that you're going to judge angels you're going to judge the world therefore how much more are the trivial things of this life so in light of that therefore walk worthy of your calling and do the things that you'll do then um, not that in any way the things that you do qualify you for that inheritance, if that makes sense. So First Thessalonians 2, your witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you believed. For you knew that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. And so we're called into the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, and therefore uh, uh, we spur each other on and we build ourselves up in our most holy faith to live uh, worthy of it. Philippians 1, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner, in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come see you or only hear about you my absence, I'll know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man, for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you, this is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. And so like, uh, like uh, Ephesians, for example, Ephesians, uh, where is it? Ephesians 6, Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear, with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ, obey them, not only to win their favor when their eyes on you, but also like, uh, but all, but like slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart, serve wholeheartedly, as if you were serving the Lord, not men, because you know the Lord will re- reward everyone uh, for whatever He does, whether He's slave or free. And then, uh, like First uh, Peter. First Peter 2, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every ruling authority. Slaves, submit yourselves to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also those who are harsh. It's commendable if a man bears up under unjust suffering, if he's conscious of God, etc. And so, um, so the point is, is that you're living your life out uh, in righteousness and holiness, reflecting how God is functioning And not only are you doing it out of worship and faith to honor your master and king, but you're also doing it, you know, to emulate your calling 
and as a witness to them, which we'll kind of hit on next week. But the way you live your life is a, uh, like he says in First Peter, um, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he, he uh, judges. And so it's a sign to them that they'll be destroyed if they don't repent. All right, Colossians 1, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we've not stopped praying for you, asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And so we're the, the knowledge of the will of God, the will of God is expressed in ultimately in the day of the Lord and everything referencing to that point. And so, uh, and then we're, were the things of God are made known to us by the Spirit, spiritual wisdom and understanding. The Spirit gives us wisdom and understanding concerning the will of God that He works out like Romans 8. He works out everything according to His will uh, in the resurrection. Um, and we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please Him in every every way bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who's qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. And so, again, and we'll see this next week, we'll, we're, we'll just systematically work through all of the apostolic prayers, every one of them, is to strengthen the church in faith, to strengthen the church in righteousness and discipleship and sanctification, and to strengthen the church in a bold witness and proclamation that the word of the Lord may run swiftly. And so likewise, First Colossians 1, where in light of your inheritance in the kingdom of light, I'm praying that you will have knowledge and discernment by the Spirit of the will of God, the knowledge of God in the day of the Lord, and that you might bear fruit between now and then of righteousness, uh, uh, holiness, etc. Four is the judgment and righteousness of the coming kingdom that sets the standard for holiness in this age. Sanctification and a higher moral standard are not arbitrary realities given by God in this age before we die and go to an ethereal heaven. They're real standards that will be enforced on the earth uh, in the age to come. And so this is... You'll start to see, I'm just saying the same thing over and over, but I just want to kind of pound it in. And the main point is that I just want to work through a whole bunch of scriptures so that it's not some kind of theological, you know, construction I'm presenting to you. I'm just trying to impress on our hearts that the day of the Lord was the reference point for life. In the New Testament, like everything that they did and thought and said was in context to Jesus returning. And why was the second coming the center of everything? Because the day of the Lord was the center of everything. The day of Christ was the center of everything. And why was the day of the Lord the center of everything? Because it's built on Genesis 1 through 3 and the restoration of that thing. So, yeah, so... Bottom of the page, may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. May he establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. And so again, you get 
end time passage, the coming of the Lord. Therefore, brothers, we ask and urge you and the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to live and to please God, just as you are doing, that you may do, more, do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you for, through the Lord Jesus Christ. So these are the instructions in light of the day of the Lord and, uh, and Jesus uh, appearing and you being established in blamelessness and holiness before him on that day. For this is the will of God. This is the will of God, your sanctification. And so in light of the day of the Lord, the will of God for you is to have faith when he appears, to remain persevering and enduring, and to be sanctified in this age before the day of the Lord. That you abstain from sexual immorality, that you teach that each of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress or wrong his brother in this manner, because the Lord is the avenger in all these things. As we told you before and solemnly warn you, for God has not called us to impurity, but in holiness. And so God has not called us to the kingdom. He's not called us at the revelation of Jesus and the day of the Lord. He's called us into purity and holiness. And therefore, the will of God is that you emulate that and you walk in, in uh, self-control and sexual uh, righteousness now because that's how it will be in the age to come. Ephesians 5, For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a man's an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. And so, again, we have the clear future context of the kingdom. And in light of, of all wickedness being purged from the earth and nothing righteous inheriting the kingdom, therefore let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore don't be partakers with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of the light. You were once in darkness concerning the earth is in darkness now, but now you're in light. You're being called. You've been made righteous by the blood of the Messiah. You're being called into the light of the age to come. Therefore, live as children of the light and walk in the light that the Spirit gives you, that the Spirit makes known to you. Walk in righteousness in this age. I mean, it's just like, it's just the genius of, like, this is so dense theologically but so obviously practical i mean when the theology is real then there's no separation between theology and lifestyle it's like if your theology is real the theology grips you and hems you in and crushes your pride and constantly sits there and grinds on your immorality and grinds on all the tendencies of the flesh it's like I mean, it's just like if the theology is sound, if the instruction is sound, then it will inherently disciple you in righteousness and play out in a very practical way in your life. Like there's no distinction. Like you read through Romans, you read through the epistles. I mean, most people like you get into academic circles and they just, they go, oh my gosh, how theologically profound Paul is, etc., etc. And he is theologically profound, but... 
everything about what he says is really practical. He's trying to keep people he loves on a narrow path so they don't get thrown in like a fire. I mean, it's just like, and so it's just, I mean, constantly rehearsing in light of the day of the Lord, in light of the kingdom of God. Don't you know that wicked people will not inherit the kingdom? God is going to judge people for the things you're doing. You, you, you do things that the Gentiles think are bad, you know, in, in, in 1 Corinthians. Don't you know, like, don't allow immorality in your midst. I mean, it's just, it's not, if it's good theology, it will play out in good practice in the church. And you can never have too much theology if it's good theology, you know. I mean, unless it's like you're just saying the day of the Lord's coming, the day of the Lord's coming, and you don't believe what you're saying. And some people, I mean, the Pharisees, yeah, I mean, they, they believed in the day of the Lord and the resurrection, but they didn't actually believe because they didn't, it didn't actually take hold of their heart and conform their lifestyle and lead them to repentance. But if you're actually uh, preaching sound instruction, then uh, it inherently uh, makes you live that way. So... The fruit of light consists in all godliness, righteousness, and truth. Find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them.